Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and we have another super exciting, fun, we were already getting into the conversation before we even started, so a fun, lively guest. Today, we're going to be speaking with Leslie M., who is the chief fire starter at Combustion Training. I think that says it all. She lives to unleash the authentic human potential in everyone she encounters. As a coach, author, trainer, and speaker, she helps people to discover, embrace, and release their unique swagger. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Hi. So good to have you here for this conversation. I know you're going to have so much to contribute and teach to our audience. And I want to learn a bit more about your journey and what got you to this place here. But before we even go there, because I read your book, I love it. And I can't believe I didn't even say that too in the intro. So Leslie has a new book um, that came out this year that's called Swagger, Unleash Everything You Are and Become Everything You Want, which I loved, filled with stories, excellent exercises. But I think the first thing I want you to start with for our guests, because the word swagger can have different connotations. And I love, love, love the way you're using the word swagger. So tell us about what we what you mean when you're talking about swagger. When, when people hear the word, they really think of that show offy, fronty, peacocky, arrogant, you know, kind of thing. And and that is the old old swagger, bad swagger. We don't want to do that. I've redefined it as the ability to manifest who we really are and hold on to it in the face of all of that psychological crap that's going to try and come for it, regardless of the situation or environment. So it means you know who you are, you have one face, one truth, one heart, and you show up with it no matter what's going on around you, no matter what the challenges are, no matter what the opinions are of others, you are in your place of self all the time and centered. Yeah. And so I I love, and with you having a marketing background as well, I know that you are all about words and words have power. I'm curious, there's something about that word swagger that obviously called you in. What called Mm. you in? Well, I... I actually came to this whole concept through years of, of training. I was traveling the world and, and working with, you know, Fortune 100 companies. I was super fortunate. The Googles, the Disney's, PepsiCo, you know, all that, all that good stuff. And what uh, I was training leadership, communication, creativity, presentation skills. But I, I started to see this, this sort of common thread through everybody that I work with. Didn't matter the company, the culture, the country, the level, you know, from CEOs down to new entrants, didn't seem to matter. At their core, people didn't believe that they could show the world who they really were and still be taken seriously, be credible and and have success. They just didn't believe that who they were for real was good enough. to to allow them to succeed and shine. And I know the opposite to to be completely different. The more you can be yourself, you know, at your work, the more you can be yourself in your work. And that's what makes you magical and special and successful. And so 
I really started to focus on that in all the training that I did, regardless of the subject matter, I would really hone in on the individual and try and draw that magic out of them. And as soon as I would see it, you could see the reaction of the other people around. I'd go, yes, there it is. That's your swagger. Like that's the thing that makes you charismatic and unignorable and irresistible because that's what what we think swagger is. You know, it's that it's that thing you can't take your eyes off someone or <clears throat> excuse me, they're they're just you know they walk into a room and they own it and all that stuff. And I was like, that's what does it. That's your swagger. So it just became this kind of rep this representation, this embodiment of that that you know, that unignorable quality that people were able to draw out of themselves. And I wanted them to feel really great about it. So that's, that's just, that's the word that just came out of me because that's what it was for me when I, when I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I love when you say that word embodiment. I, I totally see that as you're saying it. So bring us back, <laughs> help us get to know you a little bit better and your journey and your story and what got you to the place you're at now doing this work. Oh God, long, very long circuitous route. I've had about 12 different careers in, in my life. So how far back do you want to go? You, okay. so whatever you're feeling compelled to share, Leslie, like whatever those ones are, those moments that you know that, cause you know what, what I love about you, Leslie, and we're going to talk about this too, is, and you do this very beautifully in the, in the book is you share those parts in your story and the messiness and the hard parts. And I do think there's a lot of people who think that this whole journey is supposed to be linear. And I guess what that's, <laughs> Far, far, far from the truth. So, so you be as zigzaggy as you want as you share your story. Well, I, I came into the world kicking and screaming and I, I've always been a rule breaker. I've always been a nonconformist. I've always really been myself. And I was very fortunate to have an amazing mother who reinforced that always, 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 always does not mean it was easy. Doesn't mean that I fit in. Doesn't mean I was accepted, but I refused to let the world change me. I just followed my, my own path. Uh, I moved to the UK when I was 19, I was a singer and my passion was for, for, you know, all things British. So I moved to the UK where I pursued music, but then and by accident, my music partner happened to work in the film industry, which he then introduced, introduced me to. And I had always been a writer that was that was sort of my foundational passion. So I ended up working as a script analyst and eventually a script editor and a script doctor, um, which then uh, led me to pitch TV ideas to production companies because it was like I, I knew the craft so well. So I would pitch TV show ideas. And on one of those occasions, because whenever I go into a room, I'm always like, a game, you know, it's always bring your bring your all of your stuff with you. And I was pitching a show to a production company and the guy who owned it said, you know, you should be on camera. I was like, yeah, clearly you're a genius. Of course, I should be on camera. <laughs> and uh, and they gave me a TV show. <clears throat> so I I started working as a, like a talk show host. The problem was, though, that they wanted me to be Jerry Springer and I wanted to be White Oprah. So there was such a disconnect for me and it was really bumping into my integrity in such a profound way that after doing like four or five episodes, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not for me. This is not my purpose in the world. I don't, this is, there's too much negativity here. I don't want to do it. But I, it made me realize that I could work on TV. So I had an agent at that, at that point, and I just started auditioning and I ended up working on camera for about four years, four and a half years, which was super duper fun. 
but it felt a little empty to me. Um, also, I didn't like the kind of attention that you got, especially in the UK, because there, at the time there was only four TV channels. So you get overexposed very quickly. At one point I was doing two different shows. I was on, I was on TV a lot. And um, I found that I wasn't really contributing what was meaningful to me in the world. And I was getting a lot of focus and attention. So I became sort of synonymous with, with the stuff that I was doing. Like I was, I hosted the fashion police and I hosted this and I was like, mm, this is not, this is not for me. I think it's time to go home. This was after being in the UK for 17 years. And, um, and so I moved back to Canada, which was really scary. But I knew that I didn't want to keep doing the things that I'd been doing. I'd had my years of being a singer and, and being a musician. I'd worked in the film industry. There was not really that much to do there in Canada. And I didn't want to be on camera anymore. So I said, well, what, how do I look at my skill set and recognize what's transferable? And what, what could I be passionate about? Um, so I ended up working in advertising. I talked my way into an ad agency. And because I was a big grown up, I quickly became creative director. Um, but I, again, like I'm such a seeker and I always check in with myself and, and I'm constantly asking, is this filling me up? Is this, am I really tapping into my place of purpose? Because I know how powerful I am as a human. And I know that when I find my, my purpose and my passion, I really can have an impact on, on things. So either when I feel like I'm no longer doing that or, or I see that there's not as much potential for that, I get hungry again. And I remember I came home and I said to my husband one day, you know, I feel like I'm using my superpowers for evil instead of good. <laughs> and I think I'm going to quit my job and start a training company. He was like, what, what the, what? He said, Leslie, first of all, you hate training. And second of all, you're like untrainable. I said, I know, right? Who better than someone like me to start a training company? Because if I can, if I can create experiences for people like me, then I, I will be doing my good work in the world. And I was very aware of the fact that I couldn't help my people from the inside as much as I wanted to, as you know, as a creative director, my people were suffering. We couldn't find good training. I didn't have the bandwidth and the capacity to do it for them. So I made the decision and I took this crazy leap and I knew nothing about training. I knew nothing about adult learning. I did nothing. And that was 15 years ago. And, and my company is a, an award-winning global training company. So go figure, go figure. But it, you know, it was the experiences that I had of being in that place of purpose that really opened everything for me. I did it later in life. You know, I didn't, I didn't come across this in my thirties. I was in my mid forties when, when I, you know, when I really started this company and um, it's never too late to figure out what, what you want to do. And what that, the, the stuff that that led me to is all of the, the, the content and swagger. Like it was, it allowed me to get to that, this next place in my, in my development. There is a very long story. I'm going to shut up now. Wow. No, cause I, there's so many poignant things with what you said there. I mean, first of all, I love the constantly checking in with yourself and noticing when something feels off, trusting it, mm -hmm. listening it, to it, and then taking action. Because I think sometimes people do have those sometimes whispers, the whispers get louder and louder, but they push it down, suppress it, repress it, yeah. um, and don't take action on it. And I'm, I'm so hyper aware that, that we only have a limited amount of time in this life. Mm -hmm. I, my mantra is this is not a rehearsal. 
Yes. You know, you're not preparing for something. This is what you're doing right now is your life. You are in it. And every moment that you don't live it fully, that you don't give it to yourself fully, because that's what it's about. You have the choice. If you don't give it to yourself fully, you are robbing yourself of time. I mean, I have the words about time tattooed on my wrist for that reason, that everything is about how much time we have and what we choose to do with that time. And that is an absolutely 100% personal choice, even if we have responsibilities, because I do, even if we even if we there are people that we have to take care of. So go, go get as close as you can to the thing that you love, and and start to make money and everything will change. Because if you're in your place of purpose, money comes always. Yes, yes. I I use that too. I also talk about superpowers, zone of genius, like you're in that flow, because you're doing the, the work that you're here to do that's using your gifts and talents. And what you were saying there, and it's, it's making me think also about what you do with training, which I think is pretty unique. Um, and you, she, uh, Leslie does a great job talking through a lot of these in the book and that's different exercises that are getting people to, you're, you're like, no bullshit. Like you're not, we're not going to stay in the safe place. Mm-hmm. Now you're creating psychological safety. I want to acknowledge in the place where yeah. they're challenging, right? If someone was just doing this and there was no safety to go to this place. And I just want to acknowledge you do that, but then really challenge people to hit their edges. And there was one story, a particular one about a gentleman, um, because I think sometimes there's a lot more focus on like, oh, women, like we shrink and we don't own our voice, but there's a lot of men who are also not showing up authentically oh, big as time. who they are. Time, time. They have, there's even in some ways, I think that there's more pressure on men to have a front. There's more pressure on women that they put on themselves. Yes. You know, we, yeah. we are incredibly hard on ourselves and we question yeah. everything and so on and so forth. Men don't so much. They yeah. just have this sort of iconic representation that they just believe 100% they need to fit into. Yes. Which is as paralyzing as the, the overly, yes. overly critical yeah. or overly self-critical. It's, it's the same. We're just human. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good distinction because ultimately it leads to both whether male or female or however you identify, um, in terms of gender is that you're not feeling like you can go out there and be yourself. And so universal, yes, universal, universal, yeah. universal. Um, so let's start talking about some of these barriers to that swagger and you take me wherever you want to go in terms of those different places, because, you know, I know we even talked about some of them right now, some of those limiting beliefs, but mm-hmm. if we're, there's people who are listening right now and they're probably thinking to themselves, yeah, I do want to have this swagger. I do want to show up more authentically, but I don't even know where to start. Where would you tell them they could start to, as they start to unravel um, these parts to, to really show up as their most, most authentic self? Yeah. I, I heard that so often about just this sense of massive overwhelm. It's yeah. like, yeah, I want to climb the mountain. Mountain, but I don't have a Sherpa. I don't have base camp. I don't have the training. I don't have the breathing equipment, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So that's what I wanted to do with the book was to break it down in a way that was so easy to understand so that you could attack it step by step, piece by piece, because it's a journey, right? So <clears throat> I use this visual model. That's a series of concentric circles to help people understand. So let's imagine for your listeners where there's a series of concentric circles and, the, and on the inside, the inside circle is the real you. 
It's the one who you show to the people who you trust the most. It's the people that you're most comfortable with, you've known forever, and you really don't need to put on any any false front in order to be accepted by them. Um, and it's there's probably you know a little handful of people in your life that 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 you have that with. But that's who, the real you, and and that's the the, the you that you keep hidden, and uh, you have to keep safe because it's the most vulnerable, the most precious part of you. And if somebody hurts that part of you, it really hurts. So we keep it trapped inside, but it's also where our most powerful stuff lives, right? It's also the most beautiful and most powerful stuff. So I, let's look at these concentric circles. Let's start from the outside, from the furthest away from, uh, from who we really are, but the closest to the world. And that outer ring is persona. It's that feeling that we have to put on that heavy coat of got to walk this way, talk this way, behave this way, act this way, you know, prove myself this way, all of that kind of stuff in order for me to be taken serious or seriously or to be accepted or to be credible and all that stuff. It is that false front. Persona is, is you know, is, is comes from the Greek, the mask. And so persona is the thing that that we present to the world but it's the first swagger blocker. It's the first thing that's going to keep the real us trapped. The next layer in is ambition. Mm. And it's a controversial one mm. because a lot of people go, well, is ambition bad? No, ambition is awesome. I'm all for, for aspiration and success and achieving and going for your dreams and everything, but not when it comes at the cost of your authenticity. Mm. And that's when it starts to get dangerous and it robs you of your swagger. Because if you start to to behave in ways that aren't authentic to you in order to get to that next level. What it says to you is that you're fixating on the next rung. You're like, you're, you're, you know, I'm making my little motions like you're climbing the ladder, like a little, you know, a mouse on a treadmill kind of thing. And you're fixated up on that next level. And when you're super fixated upwards, you tend to not fixate inwards, which is really where you need to. You don't, you don't go to your left and right where your peers and colleagues are, who you need desperately to support you in, in any journey. And you sure as hell don't fixate on the people who you are there to bring up in the world, those people who will ultimately be your followers. And you forget that you can't be a leader without followers and followers have a choice to follow you. It's not about a title. It's not about, you know, I got to this place and now everybody must must follow me like my my, you know, my subjects it doesn't work that way. So if if you are so caught up in that in that, you know, getting to that next level, then you are going to be sacrificing your authenticity in, in the process. So instead, I tell people focus on being in your place of excellence. You know, focus on just doing a really freaking good job, not just for for yourself, but for the collective and for the greater good. And you will rise because all of those people will lift you to that to that place, you know. So that's a reframe for that. But you can see how ambition and persona are now reinforcing each other. All right. Next layer in is insecurity. It's all the what ifs. It's that podcast from hell that plays in your head. What if I don't walk a certain way or talk a certain way? What's going to happen? And oh my God, I don't know. The, I don't want to step into the unknown and people are going to judge me. And what if, what if, what if, what if? And in insecurity, there are no answers. There are only questions. And insecurity is, is the, the thing that is going to keep you constantly churning because the brain likes certainty. And the reason that we get insecure is because we don't have answers to those questions all the time. And we're seeking sort of absolute reassurance for everything we do, and it doesn't exist. So, you know, that's why it, insecurity reinforces ambition, because one of the reasons we're so ambitious is because we feel like that title 
is going to serve as external validation for us. Wow. And it's going to be like, when I get that title, when I get that VP role, I'm finally going to believe that I've arrived. I'm finally going to be good at myself. No, you won't. You won't. Insecurity is something that you have to deal with internally. External validation does not fix insecurity. You know, it's like the monster in the closet that you have to have the courage to open the door and shine the big ass flashlight on it and see it for what it really is and start to record over those narratives, right? Those old tapes. But now insecurity, reinforcing ambition, reinforcing um, persona. Next layer in is fear. In fear lives the answers to the what if, or at least your brain is going to tell you that. What if I don't walk, talk, behave, act a certain way? Fear will tell you bad things are going to happen. And your brain will take you to the absolute worst place possible because the brain has a default setting that says better safe than sorry. So if I assume the worst, I can prepare for the worst. So when I ask people, what do you think the worst thing is going to, the worst thing is going to happen as a result of showing people who you really are and speaking your truth and so on and so forth, inevitably that story ends up with them homeless on the street. I mean, they will go there in their heads and I go, whoa, whoa, time out. At what point did this story cease to be realistic? And we have to learn how to, how to take that fear and contextualize it, you know, to say, wait a second, uh, my brain thinks that's like, a, a tiger is going to eat me fear when in truth it's a, my boss could give me a side eye fear or I might have to restart that that project fear or I might have to reframe you know my entrepreneurship or whatever it might be or you know or, or whatever it is but fear will will tell you that you're going to die you're going to die so of course it's terrifying and now you can imagine fear reinforcing insecurity reinforcing ambition reinforcing uh, persona the last layer in is pain because pain is proof. Pain says, oh, I tried that one time. Mm-hmm. It did not go well. And I am not going back there again. I've got the scars to prove it. The scar tissue is still with me. And pain has an incredibly long memory. And it's not really, this is the problem with pain. This is why when we experience trauma of any kind, which most of us have experienced in some way, shape or form, we are still experiencing it today, despite the fact that it may have happened 30 years ago, because pain doesn't know where where it is. It still thinks it's in that place where things hurt us. So if you were, <clears throat> excuse me, if you were in fourth grade and you did a presentation on tree frogs and everybody was laughing at you and you didn't discover after until after that you had a huge booger hanging out of your nose and then if people called you boogerhead for the next you know, year, every time you get up in front of a room to present, your brain's going booger head, booger head. This is dangerous. This is scary. I the, I remember that pain. I don't want to go there again. And it's like, no, 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 you're a grown ass human who checked their nose before you stood up. Um, the, the world is different now, but pain doesn't know that. Yeah. Right. So pain reinforces uh, fear, reinforces insecurity, reinforces ambition, reinforces persona. And there we are trapped inside. And every time we want the real us to come out into the world, it has to navigate, negotiate through all of those blockers like a freaking American ninja gauntlet, you know, like and each piece is going to take its hit. And if we don't recognize where in particular we're getting stuck, where is the, the which which aspect of that is the big giant wall, you know, in American Ninja Warriors, you have to climb up that big wall. Where's the place that we just keep hitting that wall? Um, it may be a little bit for each of them. It may be one in particular, but until we recognize where are we getting stuck the most? We can't start to address them. We need to, because we need to break them down one by one by one by one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, I, I really loved the model that you introduced there. And, and then also recognizing for some, there's going to be certain areas that are harder than others. And sometimes you might different stages, different transitions, and then yeah. certain ones are going to be more triggering. Um, so I'd love to bring you into this for a second. If you start to think about those different areas, I'm sure for you, there might be a certain area, whether it be ambition, whether it be fear, whether it be pain that you've noticed that you've struggled with more, or it's been an opportunity for more learning and growth for you. Um, which one jumps out at you or, um, in terms of the ones that you notice that you sometimes struggled with those areas of swagger? I think, I think for me, probably pain because I'm so, I'm very tender, you know, I'm very open and I'm very vulnerable. And when I hurt, I hurt huge. So the memory of, of pain is very powerful for me. And it's a, it's very much, um, uh, what's the word? Like, a, um, I, I move away from it yeah. if, if I can, but I'm also hype. I'm really hyper self-aware. So when I realize that that's what's happening, I, I face it and I go, okay, Les, remember, this is what, you know, this is not now, this is then. But you're still it's it's really scary to move towards pain because you know what things are going to hurt when you put yourself out there you know you're opening yourself up to hurt you really are you're like literally you're like the bird that spreads its wings and says okay here's my heart take an arrow you can you can get me and so i I think that there's for me there's a close relationship not with fear so much because i'm quite fearless but with insecurity i don't like that place of what if i like knowing Mm. so i tend to try and move through things as quickly as i can which is why i'm fearless I go, screw it. I can't, I can't stand the not knowing like that, that trepidation is putting one little toe in it. I'm like, let's go all in. Let's find out and be done. And if it doesn't work, I pick myself up and start again because I know I can. Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to, to, um, to, you know, I, like insecurity pisses me off. Mm. No, I'm like, what is, <laughs> come on, girl snap out of it. You are everything. That's, you know, that's what I, what I always tell myself. Um, but I think pain for me is, is the hardest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what and about I, you, what about you? What's, what's yours? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I think the one that jumps out at me would be those times where there might be some fears, um, and some limiting beliefs, but they're unconscious. So mm-hmm. it's when you start to recognize and what, be, what was unconscious becomes conscious. I find that fascinating because you recognize that there's been this story or inner narrative that has been operating in the backgrounds. Yeah. You weren't even aware it was there. And then once you become, you can put the light on it. It's like, oh, wow. Like, and I just think it's fascinating that so many of those um, beliefs or, um, or those stories can be from so long ago, so long ago. That's what I say in the book. I say all the time is you are not your history. You are the stories you tell yourself. And you can choose to change that narrative whenever you want. You are not simply a culmination of, you know, of, of the negative things that have happened to you or that others have said to you, you are not that you are not the image that other people see you as you know yourself the best. And you need to hold up a mirror to yourself, not to allow allow others with their own damage, their own crap, their own bias, their own, you know, perspective, their own agendas to define who we are. And that's why we form an opinion of ourselves over time is because all the bullshit that we've heard from other people who have no business, quite frankly, you know, they're so, so free with the opinions. I'll tell you what I think of you and I'll tell you, what, did I ask you? I will, I will judge myself based on 
how I operate in the world, the impact that I have, the, am, I, am I speaking my truth? Do I understand my intention? It's not about whether, whether you like it necessarily, because I'm not for everybody. Yeah. And that is just fine. Yeah. You yeah. know, just yeah. fine. And I'd rather be powerful for the few than banal for the many. Like, well, and I think it's so important. And I remember back in the day, I don't know when she first said this with, with Brene Brown, when she said, unless you're in the arena, I don't care what you have to say. That's that right. really landed for me, right? Because as you start to go out there and say your message and get it in front of more people, there are going to be people, and it's not even actually anything to do with you. It's also, you're holding up a mirror to work. They're not ready to do yet. Yeah. Um, but it's not about, it's not about what those people say. Now, if you did something that was hurtful to somebody that matters to you, or mm -hmm. they have thought, yeah. thoughts around, like you were saying from the very beginning, in terms of when you first started talking through that framework, and you said, it's those people who know you the best. If those people who know you the best say, Hey, I want to reflect something back to you. I don't think you intended this. I care what yeah. you have to say, but yeah, the people I, I would say not, no credit, like critics to how with critics, I don't accept criticism. I'm not interested because it comes from critics. My grandmother used to say from whom it comes, Leslie, judge yeah. from whom it comes. So yeah. I just reject criticism of any form. Feedback, I am all in for. And for me, feedback means that the, the, the feedbacker, the, the human is there to help me better serve my intention. That is what they were, they understand and respect my intention. And they say, hey, I think this thing may not have been aligned with your with your intention. Let me help you to see that. And I go, oh my God, yes, please yeah. tell me that. That's the worst thing that I that I could do. But because they respect me and they're invested in my success, I will listen all day long. But as soon as I suspect that someone has their own agenda or they're trying to make me smaller so they can feel bigger or whatever damage it is, I just put my fingers in my ears and sing. La 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 la, yeah. not listening. Yeah. I don't need that. It's like the equivalent of going into the airport, going over to the baggage carousel, picking some random person's baggage off of it, dragging it home, unpacking it, taking their dirty underwear out and wearing it on your head. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need to wear your dirty underwear. Yeah. Tip it, no. keep it. No, no, thank you. No, it's not, it's not yours to take on. And I think that's where we need to be um, conscious of boundaries. And sometimes it's energetic boundaries, right? We're taking on stuff that's not ours to take on. That's not serving us in any way. And yeah. so that's where I, I think your fearlessness and confidence comes in that we all have the ability to do that. I think it's pausing mm -hmm. and recognizing when we started to be pulled into something yeah. and then say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to go there. Um, and I also want to yeah, One of the tools that I, that I use with my coaching clients is yeah. I say to them, I want you to start noticing when you get poked or triggered or when you oh, have yeah. that thing. Yeah. I don't want you to do anything about it. I want you to just say out loud, huh, isn't that interesting? Just that. Don't do anything. Don't worry yeah. about it. Just for the next few weeks. Huh, isn't that interesting? That's all the direction I give them. What happens as a result is freaking magical. Yeah. It's magical because in that moment, they learn to interrupt the emotion. They become analytical about it. They move, they move that thought to a different part of their brain. There's no judgment. They're only in a place of analysis and observation. And so they don't have to feel the things. And it's amazing how it takes the, the sting out of stuff. 
Plus, they can look at things objectively and go, yes, it is interesting that every time this happens, it pokes me in the kishkas. Like I get this, oh. this visceral response. And then they, the next question usually they go is, I wonder why that is. And thus wow. begins the, self, the, the self-exploration, the self-awareness. And that's all you need, right? Yeah, yeah. And something else that you said that I think is important when you were talking about those times where the pain shows up is a lot of time. And we talked a little bit earlier around how there can be different things we do to not deal with the pain and numb with the glass of wine, scrolling on social media, keeping ourselves busy with work. The list goes on shopping on Amazon. Um, but really when we just give space and allow the emotion to be the fascinating part that I talk about all the time with people, um, cause I just love talking emotional intelligence. A lot of time that emotion actually only lasts for like 60 to 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. If you allow it to just be Be. yes, allowing it to be right. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier, about about alcohol and, and how prevalent it is for doing that, especially for women in particular for women is that we, we use it as a way to, to give ourselves permission to switch off. I don't have to feel this. I don't have to think about this. I don't have to do this. I don't have to be responsible right now. I'm off the clock emotionally, psychologically, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, but, but the irony is, is that when we, when we do that, we're off the clock, really what we're robbing ourselves of is meaningful time, the time to reflect, the time to be with ourselves and to sit in the stuff that we've been avoiding. And it's not a fun prospect until you do it. And then you realize again, monster closet flashlight, wait a second. And you, you discover that, that you can quiet your own thoughts just as a choice, you know, as opposed to needing something external to quiet, to quiet those, those thoughts. Yeah. And, and also just recognizing that our, our, your body's powerful. And a lot of times it's trying to get your attention because something is not in alignment. Yes. So when you actually give the space and you can hear then it's, there's some action that can be taken. Oh, mm-hmm. I recognize I'm feeling frustrated because this boundary is not being honored, or I'm recognizing this is happening, or you start to be able to have the space to think and reflect. And I'm such a big believer in reflection. I think that we just have this world that there's not enough time and space. Yeah. Not that it doesn't exist. We're not creating the time and space. Yeah. For- I'm even a big advocate of the do-over. Yeah, I always say if you have situations in your in your life, whatever it is, and you you're not happy with the outcome of that encounter, that situation, that discussion, that meeting, that whatever, go and ask for a do over, go own it and say, I wasn't happy with how that went. And you can share your reasons why whatever, whatever it was, and ask for a do do over. And you don't always get the do over. But at least the other person has a chance to understand what it was you're intending, like you were intending, and how you're owning that you're not putting it on anybody else. And very often you do get a do over. And you get to you get to bring that that a different perspective to something because we don't always get it right the first time and we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect and to nail it and to you know the stakes are so high and stuff oh my god no we are all this beautifully perfectly imperfect hot mess and we need to own it and stop being so freaking apologetic about it yeah. i always say to people stop please stop apologizing yeah. you know i ration my apologies so 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 carefully for things where i really did not my truth and my intention were misaligned 
That's when I apologize. Not if your level of tolerance was low. I don't apologize for that. Not if you asked me for something that I don't have the desire, the bandwidth, the interest or whatever to, to do. I don't apologize for that. I don't apologize if you take offense at something that is only offensive to you. I don't, I don't apologize for that. It's like, it's not offensive. You got me the same ways. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say to somebody, you need to check your level of tolerance or your level of offense. I would, I wouldn't do that to someone either. Right. So I just, I think that we, we, um, as soon as we start to, to behave apologetically in this world, we take up less and less and less space and we allow other people Mm -hmm. to take up the space that we are giving up. And, and we end up boxed in, you know what I mean? We're like a little tiny spirit in this overcrowded world. And we allow ourselves to live in that. I'm like, uh-uh-uh, oh, 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 spread your wings, take up space in this world, be unapologetic about that, and let people take a step back. I always look good, I always look better from one step back. I don't need people up in my face. I'm like, no, I like a little, a little bit of, you know, respect the space that I have as I will respect yours. But I, I think that that especially again as, as women is that we are conditioned to take up less space. Mm. And, you know, we we need to understand that we are actually giants in a world of small people. It's not that we're, you know, that that sometimes it's just the perspective that we need to shift and recognize that no, if we don't fit in, maybe it's not because we're too, we're we're too small. Maybe it's we're too big. And mm. that's a great thing, you know? Mm. It's a great thing to be too big in this world. Yeah. And I love the, the, I'm sorry. I, I really try to help my clients get conscious around that one because that, and then they start to become shocked almost by the time, the amount of times that they're apologizing for things all the time. I'm like, why are you apologizing? Why did you just apologize right there? What, what, mm-hmm. like take a step back and it's just become part of their language that they're constantly apologizing for things. Um, so talk to me around the persona piece is one that I see often in corporate mm-hmm. and men and women, and it's this, who they believe they're supposed to be, who they should be They're They're playing this role. Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't serve anybody because people aren't getting to know the real person and use, a, 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 I was talking about this earlier, a, a brilliant example of someone. And I love that you kept trying to get him up there and talking and he kept on trying and trying. And then eventually he just let it all out and they got, and everybody around him was, Oh, this is the story in the book, the Tony story. Yeah. yeah the Tony yeah. story. Um, but for people who haven't read the book, talk to me a little bit around, you know, where does this misconception come from? Because I think part of this, this authenticity piece and the barrier is that people believe they can actually, and I've heard it over and over again. No, no, no. I can't bring my whole self to work because it just doesn't work that way. Like in, in other workplaces, maybe, but ours can, I'm like, no, yeah, that's yeah. not, that's not accurate. That's not true. So I know there's going to be somebody listening right now. I have a way of hearing my listeners. <laughs> They're going to say, I get what you're saying, Leslie, but not but, in my yeah, no, yes. Well, yes. The, the, there's a very pragmatic reason why we feel the need for persona because yeah. we, it's a, it's a tribal mentality. You know, yeah. we, we all stemmed from, from tribal, you know, the, the, our, our development is, as humans, we've always been tribal. So we've always needed to be accepted by the tribe in order to be safe. If you're not accepted by the tribe, you know, you're the first person to get eaten when, you know, supplies get meager or you can be ousted or all of those things. So, so our need to assimilate comes from that, that, that per, that perspective around safety so it's a very primal drive so don't don't feel weird or or wrong or bad if you experience it you're human this is natural 
the the problem starts when we 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 have told ourselves this story over and over again but we have never tried to do it anything differently and we feel that there is a professional us and a personal us but the truth is that it is it is a fallacy there is no way to separate those two things where there are humans there are emotions we don't we're not able to switch off something fundamental in our brains when we walk through through those doors or or into our office environment virtually we don't leave our emotional selves our more complex selves behind and become this this you know this automaton who can act without without need or feeling or or whatever and what happens is we we suppress we just we just keep suppressing those emotions and the things that are real about us until we get to the point where we either explode or we start to feel like we can't go on like this. We are so repressed at this point and, and, and we, we can't function anymore. And then we go, I have to go somewhere else where I can be more myself. Um, or we, we discover that we're only bringing a percentage of our power to the party. And we are now operating at 60% power because 40% of our remaining power is in our authenticity. It's in what makes us different and special and idiosyncratic and, and, and all of that stuff. So it's it really is a decision that you have to make. And you have to recognize what professionalism actually is. It is not walking, talking, dressing a certain way. Okay, because there are thousands of highly professional organizations in this world where the MO is jeans and t-shirts and swearing and putting your feet up on the desk and sandals and whatever, and they make a shit ton of money. Hello, Google. They make, you know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of environments that are highly professional. So that's a bullshit story that we tell ourselves as well about what is, what is professional. For me, and this is just for me, and you can all agree or disagree, professionalism is being in your place of excellence, bringing your A game to your work. It's about respecting your peers and your colleagues. It's about um, it's about contributing meaningfully to the collective and, and the greater good. It's about being accountable for the work that you do and making sure that you are that you are contributing as opposed to, you know, bringing other people down. That is what professionalism is to me. It's not wearing a suit and tie. It's not saying I will never swear. It's not saying, um, you know, I can't talk about the fact that my kids are having a hard time or I'm going through some challenge in my life. That's not what, what it is. If, if you're if the expectation in your company is, for example, you know, when you go and see a client, you have to zhuzh it up a little bit. I'm like, All right, I'll zhuzh it up a little bit, but I'm not going out to buy a new wardrobe. I'll take something that I already own and I'll zhuzh it a little bit, you know, otherwise it's inauthentic kind of thing. And, um, and, but I will not become someone that I'm, that I am not in order to, to you know, to satisfy that. So I think we need to test it and try it more because it really is the story that we tell ourselves. And one of the we wonderful, weird side benefits of the pandemic is that we have had to welcome people into our homes. We have we have opened that door into our worlds with the, you know, with the kids are screaming, the dog is barfing, the doorbell is ringing, Wi-Fi goes off, I forgot that I'm not wearing pants. I just like, the list goes on and on and on. And it's become far more normalized to accept that we live in chaos. We live in uncertainty. We've, we've gotten to the point where we're rolling with it. Our CEO is showing up in a hoodie. You know, he's not putting on a suit and tie every day and all that. We need to hold on to that when we go back 
to to whatever hybrid you know new normal bullshit that that is coming now we need to say you have seen me in my in my truth and i want you to continue to see me in my truth there is such a huge move right now to to a, the kind of workplace that understands the complexity of the human condition I've seen it over and over again that we are now focusing on mental health. We're now focusing on the flexibility that humans need, that we are capable of making choices about our work life and still contributing meaningfully. We have proven something so magical in the last couple of years. And part of that is that realness can, can contribute so meaningfully at work. And now today, when you say to someone, how you doing? You have to mean the question and you have to be prepared to listen to the answer and do something about it. It's not just a, hey, how you doing in the hall anymore? It is a check-in on someone's total well-being. So we have, the, we have the, the, the power now to move forward very differently. And I really, really hope that we do. I 100% agree with you with that. I've, I've talked about this as being the global reset and some really good things came from this. And I really, really want to see this continuing moving forward. Um, we talked about this, Leslie, how we weren't going to want to end our conversation and we could talk for hours um, and we're at this place. And so as we start to think about wrapping today's conversation, I'd love to give you an opportunity to leave the audience with your final thoughts or perhaps even an exercise that you'd love to leave with them, whatever is showing up for you in this moment. Well, I, where's a copy of my, I want to show you something. Oh, I can't, I don't even know where my a copy of my book is. Well, if you, if you look at the cover of my book, the subtitle is unleash everything you are and become everything you want. But there are three words that are highlighted in yellow and they are, you are everything. And that is my secret message to everybody who's listening. All the things that you want for yourself, all the dreams that you have, all of the power that you want is not on the outside of you. It currently lives on the inside of you. You are already everything that you need. You already have everything you need. All you need to do is start to believe it. And once you do, everything will change. You are everything. Yeah. So good. So good. Such a great place to end off. Um, Leslie, where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, you can check me out at lesliem.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-E-H-M.com. You can check out swaggerthebook.com. You can get a copy of the book at any good bookseller online, you know, in-store retail, wherever. Um, and you got to come play with me on social. We were talking about this earlier. I love to make a total ass of myself because I think we take <laughs> ourselves way too seriously in this world. So if you want to like, you know, watch a reel of me doing my roots, because I said the only thing you should ever cover up in this life is your damn roots, you know? Um, so I'm at uh, Le Leslie M Speaks on Instagram, at Leslie M on LinkedIn, at Leslie M uh, on Twitter, at Leslie M Speaks on Facebook. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here today, Leslie. Oh, it was so great. I feel like, you know, you and I are already friends. So we just, it was like, let's just talk. Let's just hang out. This is amazing. <laughs> so I hope people enjoy it. So everywhere you are, anywhere you are in the world right now, we are saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and we're sending you tons of love. Love and swagger, baby. Love and swagger. Love and swagger. Bye, everyone. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. 
practice self-compassion, and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.